0: Welcome to this week's edition of Honestly Speaking with Tara, where telling the truth in a time of universal deceit is a revolutionary act. Well, it is a huge week. Huge week. Not only is it tax week, we don't like that, but the Mueller report is coming. The actual Mueller report. Bill Barr is supposed to release it this coming Thursday, so mark your calendars, people. For nerds like us, we're waiting with bated breath to see how much is released, what's redacted, what isn't. So this week on this episode, I have Ace Reporter. She's a national security and intelligence reporter, Natasha Bertrand, formerly with The Atlantic, now with Politico. She's just starting this week with Politico. So I'm happy to have her on to talk about all things Mueller, the Justice Department, Barr, what's been going on with this Russia stuff. Like she's been following this for a long time. So She's going to be with me in a little bit to talk all about those things. So stay tuned for her, Natasha Bertrand. Looking forward to that. But um, something else as I'm recording this um, podcast, an awful tragedy in Paris is going on right now. The Notre Dame Cathedral is burning and it's been significantly damaged. And there was concern whether they would be able to save it or not. The main cathedral, the spire is gone. And I think one of the towers. I mean, the thing was built in the 13th century. What a tragic loss for history and architecture and for the people of, of France. So my uh, my heart goes out to them and to the firefighters that are fighting that blaze. I'm hoping they can save some of it at least. Um, actually, Paris holds a special place in my heart because that's where my husband and I got engaged. And we, um, yes, my husband is a, a hopeless romantic and he proposed to me at the top of the Eiffel Tower. It was a complete surprise and, um, it was like a movie. Everybody stopped and he got down on one knee and it was amazing. It was amazing. And I have it on video. So every year on our engagement anniversary, I usually, um, post it <laughs> cause he tricked me. I thought it was going to be a Hey Mom video and it turned out to be a proposal. It was, it was unbelievable. Um, anyway, so we also had another tradition for for people who've ever been to Paris. They have, um, these love locks that you put on bridges and it's an old Italian tradition actually that, but anyway, I'm not gonna get into that right now, but people, they put these, these, um, padlocks and you write your name and your names and and the date of your love lock on there and you throw the key into the river. And of course that's really not environmentally a good thing to do because it pollutes the rivers with all the metal. And the locks were weighing really heavily on the on the iron um, bridges, so every couple of years the French authorities come and cut them all off. I don't know if ours is still there, but our love lock is on a bridge. It's literally like two blocks from the Notre Dame Cathedral, so the Notre Dame Cathedral is in the background, and yeah. So anyway, I don't know. That was in two thousand. When did we get engaged, two thousand thirteen. I don't know if our love lock is still there, but the key is still certainly at the bottom of the river um but uh, anyway i digress so yeah paris it's such, a, such a beautiful place and it's a shame to see that much history go up in flames i as of right now i don't know what the cause was um, i heard something about there were renovations maybe it was an electrical fire i don't know but i'm sure by the time this podcast is out we'll know more about what started it still a tragedy nonetheless so hearts and thoughts and prayers to the folks of paris Um, yeah, tax week, I don't know if everybody's gotten their taxes in and, uh, we filed an extension because our, our taxes are complicated and you know, that's all right. That's what extensions are for, but we'll, we'll get them in. Um, but I know it's just such a, like we get so much agita around tax time. A lot of people aren't happy. They're not getting the same large tax returns that they've gotten in the past, and so some folks are complaining, hey, where's this tax cut that we were supposed to get under Trump? And some people got them, some people didn't. If you live in my home state of New Jersey or New York or California, places where high state and local taxes plague people, this tax cut screwed you, <laughs> okay? So because of the, the limits on deductions and the and, uh, property taxes and things, it wasn't good for you. Good for some folks, not good for everybody. Um, but a lot of people, because of the deductions uh, on your paycheck, you saw a little bit more of your take-home pay during the year, as opposed to the big refund at the end of the year. You know, a lot of people don't notice $50 here, $75 there, each paycheck. A lot of people are used to waiting for their refunds, that, that nice chunk of refund check. Um, so let's see how this plays. So far, Trump is not out there talking about how wonderful, how many people have benefited from this tax cut. He's rage tweeting about the Mueller report and the investigation and his lawyers, his personal lawyers, sending threatening letters to the Treasury Department. Well, not threatening letters to the Treasury Department, but basically letters saying that 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 Congress has no business reviewing Trump's taxes, obtaining them. Right. This has been a fight. For years now, since the campaign, when Trump violated the norm and did not release his tax returns. Every president since Nixon has done that, except for Ford. Uh, It's become, now, not a law. You don't have to release your tax returns, but it's a a norm so that the American people can see whether you are um, doing things that you shouldn't be doing. Are you skirting the tax code? Are you in business with people you shouldn't be? Where are you getting your money from? Will you be conflicted? You have conflicts of interest as president, you know, not unreasonable things, which is why every candidate for the last 40 years has done that, because they've had nothing to hide. Well, we all know Trump's probably got plenty to hide. The New York Times, by the way, this is also Pulitzer Prize week, and the New York Times won a Pulitzer. For their investigative, their exhaustive investigative report about the Trump Corporation, the Trump family, and how they've basically been involved in a major tax cheating scheme for decades, up to the tune of almost $500 million. Yeah. If you have not read that story, go back and Google it. It is an unbelievable piece of journalism and they put a lot of work into that. And then Pulitzer Prize deserved. So good for them. Congrats to the New York Times. And I've got news for you. It's not the failing New York Times. Something else that Trump was rage tweeting over the weekend, how the New York Times is failing and they're going to be gone in six years and how they had to apologize to him because of mistakes they made during the election and how they lost subscribers. That's not true. Flat out, not true? The New York Times gained 132,000 new digital subscribers the week after Trump got elected. So he's just a liar with that. And what is the hell does he mean? They're going to be gone in six years. Yeah, yeah, that sounds real democratic. That sounds like you know a president who respects the freedom of the press, threatening to get rid of the, the free press. <sighs> just uh, it, at some point, you feel like you just like start to tune it out. But we can't. This is serious stuff when the when the president of the United States continues to attack the free press as the enemy of the people and threatening them. And oh, we can never let that be normalized. Please, folks, remain diligent. We, and I will never stop pointing out how dangerous that rhetoric is. It really is. But Trump's taxes, you know, a lot of people, I, I've had Tim O'Brien on the show. He wrote a book about Trump and his wealth years ago. Trump sued him for billions of dollars because <laughs> Tim O'Brien questioned whether Trump was actually as wealthy as he was. Um, they ended up settling out of court. And, um, but most people who have, who have covered Donald Trump over the years, they know that his wealth and his assets and how he does business has always been, as Chris Cuomo, my colleague at CNN would say, fugazi. He's always been unscrupulous. And tax returns are a window into how you do business. So, uh, like, for example, Donald Trump. Well, there's a lot of examples, but I'm going to use the 9-11 example since that's in the news also. With this controversy over Representative Omar and her comments about 9-11 and then Donald Trump's response to it, putting out this this campaign ad, which I thought was irresponsible. I thought she deserved to be criticized, but... What Trump did using the 9-11 images and her comments, I just thought was unnecessary and unnecessarily incendiary. Um, But I also am not a fan of hers. I know a lot of people disagreed with me. I got into arguments over the weekend on Twitter with people who support her. I do not agree with her worldview and I will continue to criticize her. I don't care what other people say. Her words diminished. Some people did something on 9-11. I'm sorry. How about... Muslim terrorists who are perverting our religion of Islam in the name of Islam killed 3,000 Americans in a terrorist act that day. And as a result, good, law-abiding, American-loving Muslims were unfairly targeted and our civil rights were impeded upon because people lumped us into that group. How about saying that? But that's not what she said. And she still hasn't acknowledged the, the radical Islamic terrorists. She, you know, acknowledged that. And said now she's playing the victim and I, I can't with her. But Donald Trump on 9-11, there was also another video that came out, or resurfaced about an interview he did that day where he on 9-11, he's bragging about how his building at 40 Wall Street is now the tallest building in, in the financial district. Are you fucking kidding me, Donald Trump? what it, it, this was back in uh, the, the buildings were still smoldering bodies were still burning in the world trade center and this asshole is talk bragging about his building being the tallest now and then he also made up this lie about how he paid hundreds of workers to help with the recovery efforts that's bullshit too by the way folks there is no evidence that he ever did that no evidence whatsoever Look it up. There's no proof that he was down there or that he paid workers to come help with recovery efforts. None of that. So that's a bunch of BS. Now, not only did he do that, he also took a $150,000 tax deduction for businesses that were damaged because of 9-11. And he's claimed that he had a small business that was damaged. His building wasn't damaged, but he took that tax cut. So you know, God knows, or I don't know if it was a tax cut or a grant. I forget. But he took advantage of a of a of something that was supposed to be for small businesses who were damaged or suffered because of 9-11. And he takes this $150,000. Come on. So, you know, there's I'm there's a I'm sure a, a boatload of reasons why Donald Trump doesn't want his tax returns ever seeing the light of day, and why they're fighting so hard to make sure that doesn't happen. Because if you have nothing to hide, you don't care, right? That's why Bernie Sanders is catching shit because he's saying, you know, he kept putting it off, putting it off. Well, what are you hiding there, Bernie Sanders, in your taxes? Just release them, right? So there's a 1924 law. It's a very obscure law that really hasn't been challenged or or applied in decades. But there is a law on the books that gives the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee That's the committee that writes tax law and also appropriates money, approves money, them and the Appropriations Committee. But the Ways and Means Committee is one of the most powerful committees in Congress. And the current chairman is Representative uh, Richard Neal from Massachusetts. And he was like, "Okay, Trump, you're going to keep this game up. You can't release your tax returns because they're allegedly under audit. That's also not a reason not to release them. Richard Nixon released his tax returns while under audit. There's no law that says that you cannot release your tax returns if you're under audit. None. Nothing to stop him. And the IRS has yet to confirm that Trump is actually under audit. We don't even know if that's true. That's the BS excuse he's been using. I'm under audit. I'll release them when i not. Okay. Are you really still under audit? I don't know. Now, presidents are automatically audited every year. So that's what Chairman Neal is using as the legal justification for requesting his tax returns because they want to review whether this automatic audit for presidents is good policy. Now, we all know that's a bullshit reason. (laughs) We want to see his tax returns for all kinds of other reasons, but they have to have a legal justification. And Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, has been very combative about this. He is adamant about not giving handing them over. So this is going to be a legal battle. It absolutely will be a legal battle. Trump's personal lawyers weighing in, questioning Congress's motives, saying this is congressional overreach, it's not legitimate oversight, and that this can be used as a political weapon. Because, you know, the, Cong- the, the the Congress could weaponize the IRS and start releasing people's tax returns. I mean, I hear you, but that's not what's happening here. And there are laws in the books that protect individuals from a random release of the tax return. But it, This 1924 law does give specific powers to the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee to look at anybody's individual tax returns, including the president. And this statute says, shall, that the Treasury Secretary shall turn over. Well, shall means must. That's not like kind of, sort of, or maybe he will. No, shall is the legislative term they put in bills when they mean like, you must do it. So... This is going to be an interesting fight, but a fight it will be. And it could take years, to be honest with you. Sarah Sanders, I I just can't stand her. (laughs) Am I the only one that sees her and just, I just, like blood wants to shoot out of my eyes. I can't take her. She's got to be one of the most obnoxious people I've ever seen on television in politics. Because she's just a liar. She just lies about everything. Oh, Well, she was on uh, Fox News Sunday and she was asked about this whole thing about the tax returns. She had the audacity to say that members of Congress aren't smart enough to figure out Trump's tax returns because they're just too complicated. And he's just been so successful as a businessman and he's already released his financial disclosures. And so they're not smart enough. Are you serious? First of all, Congress writes the damn tax laws. Now, there may be some members of Congress who are morons. I'll withhold any names. But the Ways and Means Committee, they're responsible for writing the damn tax laws. I think they can handle reading Donald Trump's tax returns. And they also have a boatload of people who specialize in these kinds of things that sit on the committee staff. That's why they're there. And there's 10 accountants, by the way, in Congress. Not smart enough. They've got some nerve. That's if that's not the pot calling the kettle black. That moron in the White House. <sighs> so yeah. So we'll see. It's going to be a fight. Something else that happened in the last couple of days that just infuriated me was Trump suggesting a couple of things. A just his continue his continued flouting of the Constitution and his abuse of power as president. It was reported that Donald Trump told the head of the former now head of CBP, Customs and Border Protection, Kevin McAleenan, who's now the acting DHS secretary. He replaced Kirsten Nielsen, that he told him that he would pardon him if he ever got in trouble for denying illegal immigrants entry under asylum into this country. Don't worry about it. Don't listen to the judges. I'll just pardon you. You know, we're not letting them in anymore. Just tell them no what now of course Trump and the administration are denying this but they need to you know what they need to do they need to haul McAleenan and anybody else who's in the room up to Congress put them under freaking oath and ask them did Donald Trump actually say this and if he did they're gonna probably try to say oh he was just joking I was just joking was he I don't know but it's not funny It's really not funny because this guy is constantly trying to circumvent not only Congress, but the law. And if Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton ever even hinted at something like this, Republicans would be claiming impeachment. They'd be filing impeachment articles, I'm telling you right now. It's not funny. Trump was in Texas last week, and he made a comment about the military on the border and how he might have to call up more troops, but if they got a little rough, everybody would get upset, and how our military can't act like other militaries from other countries. What the hell does that mean? Other militaries in other countries, they violate human rights all the time. You know, we have a constitution. We abide by the Geneva Convention. We abide by international laws. So, what exactly does he mean by getting a little rough? And that we, too bad we can't be like, what? What does he want us to like mow down illegal immigrants trying to claim asylum or crossing the border? Get the hell out of here. But that just gets passed over. Nobody says anything. No, we're all the alarmists. We're crazy. Okay. It's just one thing after the other. Then Trump is talking about how, while well, the report came out, that they were talking about busing illegals to sanctuary cities and dropping them off there as political retribution, basically. Oh, you want all these illegals to come in here? Okay, we'll ship them to your cities then. You take care of them. What kind of plan is that? You're president of the United States. This isn't some mock trial, some, some model UN, um, you know, class or experiment. These are real people. They're human beings. We can argue about the policies. We can argue about whether the merits of the asylum cases, these are all legitimate concerns. They are. The the asylum system is being gamed a lot of the time. But that's why we have judges and we have a process. But it's overwhelmed. So how about instead of nonsense ideas like, oh let's bust people and drop them off in sanctuary cities as you know to punish uh, liberal cities, how about we come up with a real solution? Like trying to fix some of the loopholes and doing some things. And I mean, you gotta be kidding me. Just, uh, now I will say when I worked in, on this issue and in, when I worked in Congress, there was a practice by ICE where they would, now this is years ago and it wasn't families. It was when the influx was mostly adult males. And if they picked them up in one place they would they could if they were Mexicans they could turn them right back around and put them back into Mexico if they come from other countries there's a different process for removal it's it's a complicated difference in laws and stuff like that because of the border states and all anyway so what they would do sometimes is they would when they deported them back they would drop them off from a different port of entry hundreds of miles away from where they entered as a punitive measure to stop people from turning around and coming back in that had been done before it was but not families and then putting them you know hundreds of miles away into different cities that is just a whole different thing and and here's the kicker trump trump's people the white house denied that report they just said oh well it was brought up but we not, not taken seriously and well, you know months ago and but Trump, the next day, doubled down on it and said, yeah, we are looking into it. Why not? That's right. We're considering it right now. (laughs) Completely undercut the White House. (laughs) Again. I feel sorry for his comms, people. Oh, my God. Everybody, how can you work in this White House and stay sane? I just don't know. And now they're trying to justify this as some some kind of policy. So which is it? Is it we need to build a wall and that's why they have a national emergency? Or now we can just take people and bust them and distribute them across the country to relieve the pressure on the border? Which is it? Either it's a national emergency that needs a wall or it doesn't. That's why you know all of this is just BS. He's He does not want to solve the immigration problem. I've said this repeatedly and I will continue to. When the opportunities were there to make some headway on the immigration issue, Trump decided not to do it. He threw poison pills in to those proposals last year and blew it all up because he doesn't want to solve the problem. He wants chaos on the border so that he has a foil. He knows that immigration is his bread and butter and he can always blame everybody else for it in the meanwhile there's all this chaos our poor border patrol agents and ice agents people at dhs don't know what the hell to do we can't we can't negotiate in good faith with any of our partners in central america because they don't know one day somebody says something and then trump comes in and undercuts it it's a fucking mess this is no way to govern no way to govern and republicans just stand by i don't know when they're going to have enough I mean, some people started to speak out a little bit because of this purge at the DH, you know, with DHS, all the vacancies, because they know that it's not a joke. But what are they going to do about it? I'm waiting. I'm still waiting. Anybody see Kellyanne Conway I Meet the Press speaking about this? I thought she was on Xanax or something. I'd never seen her so, she was so toned down. And Chuck Todd was tough with her, but she was like, almost sounded reasonable this week. I was like, well, you know, she take a couple of Xanax before. I don't know. I don't know. But she was certainly not the combative, obnoxious Kellyanne that we've grown used to over the last two and a half years. So let's see how long that that keeps up. By the way, big shout out to George Conway. Anybody, if you guys have to subscribe to his Twitter feed. It's the best. First of all, he's hilarious. Second of all, he's just really said, fuck it. And he's decided to just go all out on Trump. There is no holding back anymore. And he's a brilliant lawyer. So he's a smart guy. So he knows what he's talking about. So follow George Conway. I was in Jersey last week and uh for a day and um I- i've mentioned this before I-, I lived a couple miles away from the conways in jersey and uh, my husband and i drove by the house and I-, I we almost stopped to say hi to george i just want to give him a hug and be like bro we got you <laughs> keep it up but i didn't I- my husband was like let's stop and say hi. i'm like no, no 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 i don't want to i don't want to put him in a tough spot but from afar we got your back george so um, the Mueller report's coming out this week and lots to talk about with that. Some interesting um, developments in this whole bar situation and his testimony last week, bringing up spying and um, was, you know, using that term. It was so loaded and he knew what he was doing when he said it. He really did. And now, you know, the, Trump has been talking about this whole spying on his campaign crap for Two years, and now he's been given a lifeline and legitimacy in this because the attorney general used the same term during testimony. And he knew Bill Barr has been around the block a few times, he knows what he's doing. So Trump has been tweeting rage tweeting about that now. Investigate the investigators. Jeez. Well, we're going to talk about that and more with uh, Natasha Bertrand, who's coming up next promised i have national security correspondent extraordinaire natasha bertrand joining me today on honestly speaking this is her first week at politico she used to be over at the atlantic now she is politico's gem uh here with me on honestly speaking welcome natasha thank you so much for having me my my pleasure she's on her way to msnbc because she's also a contributor for them so we've got it for 20 minutes and we're going to get right to it uh Natasha, this week we're actually going to see some semblance of the Mueller report in its entirety. What are you what are the, some of the biggest questions that were left unanswered from the bar summary that you want to see in this Mueller report?
1: Oh, my gosh, where to begin? Um, yeah. So I think that, you know, obviously Barr's assertion, quoting Mueller, that there was no evidence of a criminal conspiracy between the campaign and the Russian government. Um, it leaves a lot of questions because it was very narrow. Um, it, there was a lot, you know, still unanswered about the campaign's various conversations and interactions with Russian um Entities and Russian individuals that may not have been connected to the Russian government. So, you know, for example, um, the campaign chairman Paul Manafort, his interaction with a suspected Russian spy and giving over polling data in what August of 2016 why did he do that? Is there an ongoing investigation? And perhaps we won't learn as much as we would like to about that episode and whether or not it constituted, um, you know, a conspiracy, not necessarily with the Russian government, but certainly with someone who is connected to the Russian government government and could have helped with some kind of quid pro quo between the campaign and Russia. Um, You know, other questions about George Papadopoulos and this mysterious professor, Joseph Mipsud, that, um, you know, alerted the campaign early on about Russia having stolen Clinton emails. What's his deal? Um, The Trump Tower meeting. Do we know everything about that? Was the timing um, with the meeting and, and, you know, the release of the PAC DNC emails just a coincidence, or was there something more there? You know, all of these things that may fall into this counterintelligence bucket that may not be answered specifically by saying whether or not there was a a crime that occurred are what I'm going to be looking out for. And then, of course, there's the obstruction piece of this, which Mm -hmm. Barr indicated in his memo, you know, the episodes involved in that were have not all been previously reported, um, and I think the White House now is kind of scrambling to to whittle down its its own counter report to deal primarily with the obstruction um, aspects of this investigation, and they're particularly worried, apparently, about what the former White House counsel, Don McGahn, had to say to Mueller. So I think we're going to be getting quite a bit of news out of this report on Thursday morning, supposed to come on Thursday morning, um, but of course— much of it is going to be redacted probably upwards of, you know, 50 pages out of the 400 will be blacked
0: out. And now out of those uh, 400 pages, do you think we're going to have exhibits of, you know, people's testimony? Because it's been reported that there are some White House, current White House staff, current and former, who are a little freaked out by what might get revealed because like, for example, Don McGahn, he spent 30 hours with the special counsel and um, it was reported in Axios that McGahn was speaking in front of a, in an off the record session with with, uh, Senate Republican staffers where he said that there was a lot, he got yelled at a lot. And (laughs) there was a I'm sure there were a lot of things that he probably told Donald Trump. No, you can't do that because it's not legal. This is just one example of someone where the White House doesn't make the White House look too. you know, it's not a flattering depiction of not only the White House, but of, of Donald Trump. Do you know of any other or is that true that there are other White House folks that are a little concerned about what might come out of it?
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, even the White House was actually surprised by how extensively Don McGahn cooperated with with Mueller. And so, you know, they're probably bracing for the idea that perhaps even more Staffers and employees of the White House cooperated more extensively with Mueller than they than they perhaps may have may have realized. Um, they are very concerned about this aspect, but you know the fact that they're worried also makes me wonder about the faith that they have in the Attorney General's conclusion that the president was effectively exonerated of obstruction of justice. I mean, if they truly believe that, if they have confidence in Barr's. You know, assertion that the president really has nothing, has done nothing wrong criminally. Then why all the reports that we're seeing about how they're scrambling to get ahead of this and scrambling to um, push back on it when it comes out? So it's just it's interesting because it kind of casts doubt on Barr's role here, and it makes it seem like the White House doesn't necessarily have confidence in his own conclusions. Um, makes it you know it makes it also seem perhaps like like Barr did kind of you know run interference for the White House in that respect. Mm-hmm. He, Not the first time. Rod Rosenstein. <laughs> right, right. And he he said, you know, that Rod Rosenstein also um, played a role in exonerating the president of, of a crime of criminal obstruction of justice. But Rod Rosenstein, of course, is also involved in this as well because he was a witness to that obstruction. Um, right. So you you wrote a piece. kind of have a horse in this race.
0: You wrote a piece about this uh, before you left the Atlantic, right? Where it was like all of a sudden now Rod Rosenstein's a, a hero of, of the Trump supporters where he <laughs> Where before Rod Rosenstein was part of the deep state and he was part of the problem, and now everybody loves him. Um, you know, what's up with that?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. So, you know, a lot of Trump's allies were actually pointing to uh, Rosenstein's role in clearing the president of obstruction as proof that this was not just a partisan finding, that this was not just Barr who was given complete authority um, to draw this conclusion, but that Rosenstein, who is, you know, a career official who, yes, was appointed by the president, but has never been seen as as a, you know, staunchly pro-Trump kind of advocate, um, you know, also concluded that he didn't obstruct in a criminal way, so that that was ironic, given the fact that Rosenstein was the one who wrote the memo right. that Trump then used to justify Comey's firing, which is at the center, really, of the obstruction of justice investigation. So Rosenstein, you know, there's there's been arguments made even that Rosenstein could have even been an accomplice to that obstruction because he knew the president's real motivations for wanting to fire Comey, and he gave him a justification anyway. So at the very least, he's a witness in this probe. And so for him to have a role in clearing the president of this, um, it seems to legal experts to be completely inappropriate.
0: And let's not forget, he was also reported that he wanted to wear a wire at one point um, when all this chaos was going on back in 2017. And most people who were familiar with this said that they did not find that he was joking. So this whole Rosenstein thing is complicated, you know?
1: It's very complicated and you know, he had a very um volatile reaction to the president in the White House using his memo as the primary justification for Comey's firing. Um, He was, you know, in tears afterwards, I'm told. He was sobbing at various points. Really? Extremely. Yes, he was extremely distraught. Um, Wow. He was bouncing around ideas. Oh, yeah, he was bouncing around ideas um, to, like, you know, wear wire, to invoke the 25th Amendment, etc. And I, you know, I've tried to ask people multiple times who, who were Involved in these discussions, how does this square with the person who wrote the memo? Who the, right. With the person who said just recently that he stands by it, um, you know, and and no one could really explain it other than that he was just kind of a basket case following that week, and mm-hmm. that he thought that one of the ways to kind of redeem himself and redeem the DOJ and redeem himself in that position was by you know. throwing out all these ideas and saying, look, what do you want me to do here? This is kind of out of my control. So he, he, you know, is leaving the Justice Department soon. Um, He will have, you know, this this reputation and this baggage looming over him no matter where he goes. Um, But there's no doubt that he was kind of a key witness in this entire thing.
0: Has that been widely reported, that he was in tears? I'd never heard that before.
1: I don't think that it's been widely reported.
0: Well, um, well
1: you know, it's been reported that he was on <laughs> <laughs> the brink of tears, that his eyes were welling. Um, but, but I, from my understanding, it's that he he actually was so upset in the aftermath of this that he was. But he was crying, which is, you know, it's a very
0: tumultuous, stressful Listen, time. To be I get it. Of, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm yeah. Sure there's a lot of points. I'm sure there are a lot of people that have been brought to the tears of frustration or anger over what Trump has been doing, not only to the presidency, but to this country since he stepped foot on the scene. So I I feel you, Rod Rosenstein. I don't begrudge you at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let me ask you a little bit about the counterintelligence side of this, since, you know, national security and intelligence reporting is, is your forte um you know even though andy mccabe was fired ultimately for violating uh fbi rules for leaking but it wasn't didn't have anything to do with trump it was actually leaking hillary clinton related information how has um what mccabe and these guys what they've testified to what they've written books about even with james comey all of these intelligence folks and have basically been saying the same things about what Donald Trump was doing at, this t- at the time. Um, how has this really had an impact on them now that the attorney general has come out and said and used the same terms that Trump used about this, quote, illegal spying on the campaign, that there was some kind of um, you know, nefarious thing going on here, which is exactly what Trump has been trying to tell people to distract from what he's been doing. What, what kind of an impact has that had on the intelligence community?
1: No, they're they're totally they're totally horrified by this, um, and just you know, in my conversations with with people familiar again with 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 the discussions and and the conversations that happen in this period, they are. Horrified that he would use the term spying, right? Um, because it is such a politically loaded word. And you know, we, I was just at a conference just this last week where Jim Comey was speaking, and he said flat out, "Look, I don't know what the heck Bill Barr is talking about because if he considers court-authorized surveillance as spying, then he we need to have a whole lot of new conversations over at DOJ because that's never been. You know, obviously, you can use the word, you can use FISA, you can weaponize it, and you can." look it's it's a form of spying but for bill barr to insinuate that it was illicit Mm
0: with using that
1: term is just really baffling to everyone who was who was involved and you know it's it's not as if he was inexperienced it's not as if he wouldn't know better i think that's also what really is ruffling people's feathers is that you know this is not someone who is you know, not savvy. I mean, this is a very experienced lawyer. Um, he was the attorney general. He knows all about FISA. He knows what he's talking about. Um, and if all he was trying to say was that he was concerned that perhaps some unauthorized surveillance went on, which is what he said later, um, then he then he really kind of messed up um, and kind of stumbled over himself. But you know, everyone I speak to thinks that it was very deliberate. Sure. Um, and that it, you know, no matter what anonymous sources close to Bill Barr tell the New York Times and the Washington Post, for him to say, I think spying did occur on the Trump campaign in 2016 is really not an accident.
0: Right. I mean, this is a guy that didn't just fall off the turnip truck. And, um, you know, I've encouraged people to go back and read William Sapphire's pieces from the 90s about Bill Barr and how he was, you know, general cover up. Um, You know, he's done this before. And I I happen to think the same thing, that he knew exactly what he was talking about. It was it was for an audience of one. You don't use the same language of Trump when you are this politically savvy and then try to act like it was it was just, you know, some benign use of the term bullshit is what I call on that. Um, (laughs) So as we you know, as we as this goes on, we're going to you know, we're going to get the Mueller report. People are going to comb through it and, um, you know parse every word but what other threats are posed to the trump presidency i mean what jerry nadler and the judiciary committee are requesting what they're doing i think that they pose a threat to, to trump with their request and things like that but do, do you see that what jerry nadler and the judiciary committee is doing legitimately does pose a threat to trump
1: yeah, and, and look, I mean, in order to get – there, there's a whole school of thought out there that says that in order to get the grand jury material, which is what ultimately Congress really wants, they may very well have to launch impeachment proceedings. Um, and if they launch impeachment proceedings, then that is kind of – that can take on a life of its own, and that mm-hmm. could be a very, very in-depth investigation from Congress in a way that perhaps we haven't seen before. It would involve new resources, new witnesses, new staff – It would be a very dedicated thorough um streamlined um probe that would be very public too, right? I mean the hearings would be going on in in the public and in plain sight almost daily. So that is a step I think that is, you know, it's it's on their radar. And it's it's certainly not something they can rule out because the grand jury material is so important to getting to the bottom of what this report actually means. And if they can get that through a court order, um which is also still up in the air, then they won't need that. But you know, we'll see. Um, but as far as, you know, the tax returns go, there's a very big pusher right now to get his tax returns. Yes, and I just talked about there's no that. reason, right. I mean, there's really no, it's, it's become very clear that the president is more afraid of the consequences of his tax returns <laughs> coming out than mm-hmm. he is of the political blowback from not releasing them. Mm-hmm. Um, so as he should be. Some, <laughs> right, so they could contain some really damning things. And right now, the House Ways and Means Committee is kind of going full speed. And trying to get those. And just today, my ACE my colleague, Andrew Desiderio, broke the news that Trump's lawyers are now basically threatening an accounting firm and saying don't release any of the president's financial information or else. Um, or else what? Worried, you know what I mean?
0: What, Or else what? This is the same tactics that Trump uses for everything. Just like I, I mentioned earlier in my podcast uh, about Tim O'Brien, how he tried to sue Tim O'Brien when he was with The New York Times for writing a book that claimed that Trump wasn't as wealthy as he claimed he was. And, and it was all just to intimidate. That's what he does. But when you have a congressional subpoena, you need you have to abide by that. Some personal attorney is telling you don't do right. it. Well, you know, what are you supposed to do? You got to follow the law. So that, that's going to be an interesting case to follow. I, I mean, I think that he's you're right. He's going to fight that to the death because it's it exposes his underbelly that he doesn't that nobody really wants to see that.
1: <laughs> well, it's really fascinating, you know, how mm-hmm. much they've thrown into this effort to, to hide the president's tax returns. I mean, it's 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 you know, it's, it's baffling it's, if you don't understand what makes Trump tick, which mm-hmm. is, you know, his real estate history and business history um and money so that's that's a big one and then of course you know the trump inaugural um committee investigations that are being run out of new york um you know those involve things like money laundering illicit foreign influence i mean really serious stuff and you know also the investigation into the trump organization itself being run out of the southern district so there's a lot
0: well, I have a couple minutes left with you, and I wanted to touch on um, another subject that kind of ties into the Trump inaugural and like the illicit money and some of the Russian influence that which is coming from multiple sources. It wasn't just them trying to influence our elections through, um, you know, fake news and everything that they were doing with the IRA and hacking and all those things. There were multiple fronts where they were attacking us and trying to have influence. And Maria Butina, this Russian spy in the NRA, which is a fascinating story. That I think would get more attention if it weren't for all the other explosive things going on. But you've talked about her and some of the um, interesting Russian characters who have actually funded her legal her, her legal um, fees, and just how strange that whole thing is. I mean, it's like something out of a spy movie. Can you talk a little bit about Maria Butina, what her status is, and where her money is coming from? <laughs>
1: Oh yeah, this is a, this is a cool story. So basically <laughs> she is awaiting, um, sentencing by a judge in, uh, DC and essentially what her attorney thinks is going to happen is that she will, well, what he hoped and he prays, and he, he apparently really believes is going to happen is that she will get a sentence of time served because she's been in prison for gosh, almost a year now. Um, and that she'll be able to just then go back to Russia. He told me that he's already given her passport over to ICE in order to expedite um, the process of her extradition back there. And that he is confident that, that it'll all play out according to plan. She's really eager to get back to Russia, apparently. I and bet. is she afraid because she's been, you know, cooperating with prosecutors. Mm-hmm. And he says, oh, no, she, you know, she didn't tell, you know, she, she didn't know anything about the spying. She's not connected to the intelligence services, so she has nothing to be afraid of. So, but know, didn't we'll she what happens, but. but didn't
0: she plead guilty to being a, a an agent of Russia since 2015 when she came over here?
1: Yes, based on her relationship with a Russian government official who, you know, you could argue perhaps has his own connections with Russian intelligence, but is not himself directly an agent of Russian intel. Um, he's a banker, he has ties to the Kremlin, um, he's close to Putin, but he is not himself. And that's why her attorney, Bob Der Skull, has consistently man- maintained that she is not a spy. She doesn't have those tangible right. ties to the intel services. So, allegedly. Um, but so her, who, who, is allegedly.
0: who is Alexander Ianov? Who is Alexander Ionov? And why does he matter? Yeah, So he's, he's interesting, he runs an organization called the Anti-Globalization
1: Movement, and its whole purpose, essentially, is to foster separatist movements around the world, and to kind of foster dissent and chaos inside democratic countries. Um, And, you know, he has put on a number of conferences in Moscow and St. Petersburg, hosting these American separatists, you know, separatists from Spain, etc., in order to kind of Create This collective, you know, uh, sentiment of, well, why shouldn't we have independence? Why should, why shouldn't we rise up against, you know, the central government, et cetera? Wonderful. And <laughs> that's, that's like a been great a guy. very big goal, right? That's been a very big goal of Vladimir Putin's, as we know, is to foster this kind of chaos and, and, um, uh, you know, dissent inside Western countries um, in order to to make Russia ascendant again. So, so he is very much aligned with that, and he, his anti-globalization movement is actually the one who has been raising money for Maria Putina's Russian legal defense fund. Um, so her money is coming from him inside Russia, and you know it's unclear. What kind of funding he's getting from the Russian government, if any? But he has received, and his organization has received funding directly from the Russian government in the past. Um,
0: I, what a mess! So what, it, what a tangled web this yeah. it all is, you know. And and Trump and his minions try to get us to, sit, to think that this is all some kind of a quote witch hunt, and that we're all crazy. But yet there's all of these ties to Russian money, Russian this one, that one. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's it's a a really really ugly tapestry of Russian influence that uh, people need to keep paying attention to Um, I know you got to go I want to ask you one last question I know that you saw the story recently reported about um, Oleg Deripaska's company investing 200 million dollars in an aluminum plant in Kentucky Hmm, who's from Kentucky Mitch McConnell Uh, does that raise any red flags just explain who Oleg Deripaska is and and why we should be alarmed that this money is being infused into Kentucky
1: Oh my gosh, huge red flags. Um, so Oleg Yarposka is a Russian oligarch who was sanctioned um, by the U.S. in response to Russia's election interference. <laughs> And in, in 2018, and the sanctions were actually listed in January of this year on his companies, not on Deripaska himself, but on his companies, which are, I believe, the largest um, aluminum producers in the world. So now Rusal, which is one of his companies, actually, isn't. It, it was recently came out that they've invested, like you said, roughly $200 million in this project in Kentucky, which of course is Mitch McConnell's home state. Um, so kind of, you know, an interesting. Interesting mystery there. I mean, obviously, it is the biggest producer of aluminum. And, you know, there could be an argument that because the sanctions were lifted, um, you know, this is now a legitimate project. But the fact that the very first American investment that this company is making since it was sanctioned in 2018 and since the sanctions were lifted earlier this year is in the Senate majority leader's home state. And it's going to be a boon to the states is right. very interesting very
0: swampy it's very swampy you know what happened to drain the swamp we haven't heard that in a long time and this is very swampy and also one other point about Deripaska that's the Russian oligarch that Paul Manafort was in bed with for years and owed money to and was sharing that election information and wrote a report for years ago about how to have influence in the American political culture here so Deripaska has been he's had his hands in all of this and um, he's got ties directly to Putin also so not a good guy. Well, um, Natasha, thank you so much. Uh, keep up the great work out there. Um, congrats again of uh, joining for joining Politico. They are lucky to have you. And uh, we'll keep, keep an eye on your work. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you. That's it for this week's edition of Honestly Speaking. Again, big thank you to Natasha Bertrand of Politico and MSNBC for talking with me today about all of the craziness that's been going on with the Mueller report and Russia and Trump. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Tara Setmayer or at honestly underscore Tara or on Instagram at the Tara Setmayer. Send me your comments, send me your questions. I try to respond as much as I can. I'm pretty interactive, so I look forward to hearing your thoughts and uh, stay tuned for next week's episode. Thanks for listening.